Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, indeed, we do have an emergency, so let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your continued grace, mercy, wisdom, counsel, protection over us. We ask tonight that as you uh, are with us in this radio show, that you you would um, open our eyes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive, to understand the plots that have come against us and our children, Lord God, that you give us a heart to not only understand it, but to just determine to um, stand against it, Father. You said, I've given you power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So tonight we thank you, Father, for that power, the power to bind, to loose, to forgive. We thank you, Lord God, for giving us the uh, ability to recognize the works of darkness, the patterns of destruction, the generational curses, especially as they have attended to and attack our children. And Lord, I pray that you would also give us divine protection, even as your word has promised, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the enemy will be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, reproach, or destruction Father, I pray that you cover us, our families, those who work for us and pray for us and love us, that you cover and keep us, Lord God, in our words, our conversations, our relationships, health, in our safety, our traveling, our vehicles, our finances, and our property, the work of our hands and the fruit of our labors, that everything that pertains to us and our families would be protected by your truth, by your love, by your grace, by your mercy, Father. We thank you, Jesus, that you are also the wonderful counselor and the faithful witness. And I know many tonight are struggling in great places of sadness, grief, confusion about their children, about how to help their children. So tonight I pray that this uh, show would be of great help and and this program would be of great assistance to them, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, um, we had our first Troubled Kids Conference, and that was in early, early February. And a lot of people showed up, and we invited people to come to begin to understand uh, the mysteries of iniquity that were working against their children, that were causing them all kinds of situations. All, I mean, I had a whole uh, alphabet filled with symptoms and problems that uh, afflict our children these days, everything from autism and attention deficit and uh, hyperactivity to um, uh, not being able to sleep at night to um, being rebellious, uh, making bad choices, not being able to focus or concentrate. And whatever your situation with your child, and and it doesn't really matter how old they are, they're always going to be your child, they're in trouble. A lot of them are really, really in trouble. So tonight, if you'd like to join us in this conversation, we really encourage you. I'm going to give you the number early so you can get online and make your comment or ask your question, because really this is about your you guys. It's about you. So the number here is 347 2158051 please feel free to interrupt us at any time because this is about helping you guys so it's 3472158051 um let's look a little bit at children from the lord's perspective um he was in matthew 
he was doing one of his uh, long discussions uh, about the kingdom of heaven. And as he was approaching middle near the middle end of that long discussion, that might have been his three-day discussion, I don't know. But he talks about children. And obviously there were some ch- children in the um, being uh, either disruptive or being drawing attention to themselves. And Jesus said to them, he said, uh, at Matthew 18, verse 1, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And uh, this is an uh, important question, obviously, in the uh, minds of the adults. They want to know who's, they're still into that, who's the most important, who's going to make it, who's going to outshine the rest of them. And Jesus, understanding the human carnal nature of that question, drew one of the little children to him and set him in the midst of them. So obviously they were pretty handy. He was able to just draw one right into the midst. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So the citizens of heaven uh, are docile or trusting or um, not competitive, not uh, insecure. They're just basically very um, willing to be loved trusting in those around him, uh, them. And he said, you must be converted and be changed to turn back into a child. I think, I think children are born very with a lot of faith, very trusting, and they're thrown into the snake pit of life, and almost immediately their naivety and their trust begins to um, backfire on them, and they become abused, abandoned, neglected, discarded, um, left behind. Uh, it just it, it's uh, it's it must be shocking, incredibly shocking to the little person who doesn't find any hope or any love or acceptance when he gets here or she. Therefore, whoever humbles himself, he says, as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever receives a little child like this in my name receives me. You can see that the that the importance, the the incredible priority, the Lord is putting on children. We think of them as sometimes we look forward uh, to having a child in our family, an additional child. But sometimes it becomes fearful, a burden. How are we going to provide for them? Um, This is going to change the course of my life drastically. You can no longer be narcissistic and self-centered, really, if you want to do what's best for the child. You, You begin to learn how to give of yourself like the Lord God gave of himself. But he says, verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones, who believes in me to sin, were a millstone were hung around his neck, and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. So he's talking about the absolute, it would be better off for you to not offend one of these little ones. What does that mean? He believes in me. These little, I believe children are built by God uh, to believe in God. I think uh, that divine nature is very fresh and innocent and precious in, in them. And when you look into their little newborn faces, it's like it's still there. You can see God in them. You can see the divine nature in them. You haven't yet attributed all kinds of naughty behaviors to them. And so you can see the, the, the nearness of God. They just came. They were fresh. They're fresh from heaven, so to speak. And so he's talking about the offenses of this world. Woe to the world because of offense, for offenses must come. But many times the offenses come to the innocent, the vulnerable, um, and the unsuspecting. And that would be our children in Matthew 10:42, he says, he talks about the rewards of whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple. Assuredly, I say to you, he shall, not, he shall by no means lose his reward. 
right before that, he's talking about the, the, the reward that one would get from receiving a prophet in the name of a prophet. He shall receive the prophet's reward. He's going to, um, but he's saying, don't even, don't, that's not even the end of it. I'm not just rewarding those who are hobnobbing around with the prophets. He says, if you have been called to minister to the children, uh, wipe runny noses, give cups of cold water, um, change dirty diapers, uh, chaperone them, um, uh, chauffeur them to school, whatever, you will not lose your reward. And so many of us think that those things are not very spiritual and not very noticed by God. But going back to the essential command of children, the, the incredible importance, because children are the generation that will follow. They're the ones that carry down the admonitions of the Lord. And if the generation is corrupted, then there's going to be a problem with following in that um, that holiness, the generation of God, the revelation of God. And so uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he took a, quite a bit of time to talk about um, commanding the people of Israel as they were coming and being established and set up in their promised land. This is what he says in verse uh, chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, and we could say, hear, O Christian, hear, O believer in God, hear you who have children that you have dedicated to the Lord. The Lord our God is one. Why was he saying that? Everybody all around them, there was idolatry. They were steeped in witchcraft, uh, cruelty, uh, fables, mythologies, uh, Satanism. Uh, Satan had so already corrupted the world. that It was just simply this tiny little handful of the chosen people that were um, being set aside, set apart, sanctified, um, called into a place of holiness and called into a place to carry the um, mandates of God. Otherwise, the world had been already taken over, completely corrupted at least once before through the flood and through the Tower of Babel. And God was at this point endeavoring through the law and through the commandments to preserve this little tiny remnant um, that were to be his people that would bring forth the the Savior of the world. He says, um, verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, I, this is, you say, I, I know all this stuff. But these are the foundational principles on which our families are to be built. And if you are too busy and you are too consumed and swept up in, uh, de- delete, uh, deceived by the things that, that you're hearing, trying to um, make it in the world, you have forgotten the very basic principles of the Lord our God is one and that we are to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you don't do that, if you're compromising and bringing in a mixture of uh, pagan idolatry, I don't care how it looks. It may look like, uh, you know, contaminated foods uh, bought off the prepackaged shelf uh, to corrupt your children in their taste buds. It may be practicing yoga. It may be allowing the children to watch and build their world on fantasy. It may be neglecting to teach them the ways of the Lord. Whatever it is, however it mixes, that is an offense. That defiles, that brings confusion to the child, and that also opens open, opens the doors for the enemy to come in and claim them. So God isn't just saying something for you to do because he wants to control you. He's saying these are the remarkably, incredibly important things you want to do to protect your children. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. How many of us diligently do anything with our children? How many minutes a day do we spend with them 
Uh, we, we, you know, a throw a granola bar at, in the morning out the door or a peanut butter sandwich. They, you know, we, we pick them up after school and we make 45 phone calls on the way home. We're not really talking to our kids. We get them home and they're all hungry and we give them a sugary snack or something. They go watch TV for an hour or two. Supper's ready. We eat supper if we eat it at the table. That's a great blessing or a great boon to whatever. And then we scatter to our rooms to watch our own internet iPod TV shows uh, or do our homework. And there's very little interaction. The children spend way more much time uh, being taught by TVs and and strangers than they do their own parents. So diligently pay attention, get to know them, listen to them. Don't always lecture, listen. And so he's saying, because they need to hear, they need to learn, they need to be um, uh, felt like they're important enough to be invested in. Um, I work with people all the time, and the, and the, ba- the basic bottom line lie for all of us is that we're not good enough, not worthy, not good enough to be loved. Um, that nobody really cares enough about us to take the time to do anything. So talk to them when you are, when it's the, um, teach them diligently. You talk to them when you sit in your house. Well, many of us sit and don't talk. We sit and we're at the table, we're in the living room, at the couch, at the television. We're not really talking. Maybe we do a little bedtime story and maybe we pray a little bedtime prayer when they're little, but when they get a little bigger, we kind of omit all that too because they're too big for all that stuff now. When you walk by the way, that's when you're going back and forth, walking, um, driving, commuting, taking vacations, not just vacations, but whenever you're on the way with them, when you lie down, that's bedtime, and when you rise up, there's times to to pray and read the word and teach them. Um, You shall bind them as signs on your hand. And they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. These are the commandments of the Lord. And this is this is what what it's meaning is that this is how our these are our house rules. This is how we. But we know that God is with us. He's faithful. He will never leave us or forsake us. One of the things, another one of the major lies that Satan tells people and children especially is, I'm alone. I'm afraid. Um, there's nobody here. And if there's nobody, here, then what's going to happen to me? And so they're pressured into, uh, you know, going along with their friends or um, being afraid to, you know, to learn or to, they're just not okay. It's not safe. Kids need safety. Um, so I was reading the other day um, in Henry Wright's, I know some of you know Henry Wright, A More Excellent Way. And uh, in the first edition on page 170, he talks about generational sins and children. Now, we know that the, the Bible talks about generational sins. And it says the sins of the fathers are visited onto the children to the third and fourth generation. That's in Exodus 20, uh, verse 5. So right in the middle of the Ten Commandments, he says, God shows mercy to thousands upon thousands, but also the sins of the fathers, the acts, the the agreements, the open doors. The, when you agree with sin, fear, um, idolatry, uh, covetousness, um, selfishness, when you agree with those spirits, you have come into an agreement with them, then you have given them permission to take your power and your kids. I mean, so you've made a deal with the devil. And so he says, the sins of the fathers are visited onto the children to the third and fourth generation. So in, in Leviticus 26, 39, he tells us what to do about that. He says, okay, he says, if you are attempting to go into the promised land, and you see yourself being eaten up, beaten up and wasting away. He says, if you will confess your iniquity and 
the iniquity of your fathers, which is with you. Then the Lord says, I will restore the covenant. He will restore the, the blessings and the safety. If you will, then I will. And notice it's the same commandment he gave in the New Testament to confess. When you sin, confess your sin. Repent, which means change your mind and confess the sin, which means come out of agreement with the devil. So, and you notice he also said the sins of your fathers, which is with you, because if those sins remain with you, he says, you will be eaten up, beaten up, and wasting away. So each generation uh, is born under an avalanche, and each generation, in each generation, the avalanche becomes more treacherous and deceptive. Um, So going back to what Henry Wright says, he says this, and I think this is where we want to go. He says, um, fear can be inherited. Things that we deal with can either develop in our lifetime or we can inherit them from our family tree. Now, when I see that happening in a child, he says, I go back to the father and the mother, the grandfather, the grandmother on both sides, and I will find something. I'll find abuse. I will find victimization. I will find rejection. I will find somebody not being nurtured somewhere. It can, not, it can be inherited, not from a genetic standpoint, from a spiritually inherited standpoint. But here's the deal. If everything in the kingdom of God were built to run on love, love is what we need, love, acceptance, forgiveness, um, protection, uh, embracing, the revelation, the validation of knowing I am good and loved and, and precious and wanted. And if, those, if that love is not there, that love becomes a protection against fear because Fear is the opposite of love. Love casts out fear. So when those things are, are missing, the love, the assurance, the nurturing, the protection, um, and, the, and the teaching, there needs to be discipling of these children, mentoring of the children. Um, as the Lord God says, when you go away, when you're at home in the morning, in the evening, by your table, teach them the things that, that they should know about God, that God is one and that we are to love him. So, but many children are not being taught this. So fear, he says, it, it can be inherited. Absolutely, it can be inherited. It's, it's a spiritual inheritance. There's not just a genetic inheritance, and, and there's not just a spiritual. Actually, there's a combination of the two that affect the, the child physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, uh, in every way. So the, the fear... Can, cor- can corrupt or uh, because we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. And so when fear is inherited, it's coming down a generational bloodline. For example, let's just say the child comes from a family bloodline where there's a lot of inherited man fear, people pleasing, um, where people don't really say what they need to say. They hide their emotions. They try to make everybody else happy. Um, and they, they're afraid uh, to rock the boat or, you know, stand up for righteousness or whatever it is. So they just kind of become passive um, and emotionally they, they swallow their emotions. They don't share their emotions. So the child is coming into a family where people were afraid to show love. It was maybe it was a sign of being weak or maybe it wasn't culturally accepted or whatever. So the child is afraid to um, and, and, and not sure, confused about whether they're loved or not. But that generational agreement with um, a lot of times this kind of man fear, people pleasing, don't express your emotions. Um, that not only comes down as an inherited uh, 
learned behavior that you're, the child is learning through the, um, the being in that family, it is also marked on the DNA. It's a mark. It's a physical, uh, the, the word says, um, oh, Lord God, if you mark iniquities, who can stand? So the question becomes, well, where in the world does God mark iniquities? Well, there's only one place he can mark them because there's only one source or substance that is contingent to carry down the information from one generation to the next, and that is the DNA. So the strands of DNA carry all the codes. There are trillions of codes. Some of them are have to do with disposition and height and uh, your phenotype, your genotype, all kinds of things. But they are carried down on the DNA. And sometimes I believe those codes, those um, genes, can be tampered with. And that's when we get, because God creates us perfectly, fearfully, wonderfully, we're made I believe they can be tampered with in the womb. They can be tampered with because of agreements that were made previously. Uh, and so sometimes our children are born with some sorts of defects, or uh, both psychological or physiological. And also they can be born and there can be a trauma event, whether it's in the womb or in the birth, or once they are born into the snake pit of life. These events provide the traumas that Satan is using to push the child into that place of fear, to come into agreement with fear, the fear that I'm alone, I'm not loved, I'm not okay, I'm not going to make it. Um, and if that fear is set up early enough, your child will actually be born with that spirit of fear on the one hand. And because the enemy always sets up the problem so he can solve the problem, he will also have given the child a second uh, demon, a, a solution to the first problem, and that second problem will be control. So a lot of our autistic children, for example, are coming down into the into their lives with a with a super amount of um, fear and need to con- and need to control. Um, and this in the generational bloodlines, you will see what has happened if you look uh, in the in the the sins of the fathers or the you know the traumas and activities situations that the fathers and mothers have gone through. You will find out that there has been reason for that this fear already given that this isn't new to the child it's already been in the generations before them um whether it's feeling rejected unworthy the agreement whatever it is and the need to control now in in uh, so this specifically the enemy would create uh, a need to control and that's what we we see a lot of in autism uh or in your allergies your asthma attacks you see the fear and then the response to that to try to breathe or to try to take control of the situation or um, try to manage their circumstances so that everything, uh, they can control things because they're believing, I it's up to me. I have to take care of myself. They don't recognize the revelation of Jesus Christ. But it's good news that you as a parent, you can do a lot for that child besides just rush them off to the doctor and get them vaccinated. If they're coming from a generational line of fear and abuse, neglect. A lot of children, you know, uh, generations ago, two, three generations back, they were, they were beaten. They were uh, not just disciplined. They were violently abused by parents. And that kind of uh, judgment or curse or open door allows the devil to um, create a lie in that family bloodline that children are, you know, children are, are troubled. Children are, are worthless. Children are uh, to be objects, children are to be seen and not heard. Children are of no value. They get in the way. When you 
have that kind of discounting of a child, then you have to you'll see that that child will also pick up that demeanor, that sense of unworthiness, that sense of, and sometimes it even it attacks their health because there there's a uh, an agreement in the generational bloodline with, I'm not wanted, I don't matter, nothing matters, I don't care, I might as well die. So a lot of times when your children are sick, there may be a generational bloodline agreement with that kind of um, despair of life and a rejection and abuse of children. So what's going to happen is you as the parent can do tremendous things to help these children. He says, as he goes on to uh, talk about these things, he says, um, we have a ministry to children and we do minister to children. We have come before the Lord to God, to ask God to heal the child. But we have discovered something else very powerful. And I have, I agree with him. If you see that the child has a disease or a problem that is in direct result of the parents, if we can get the parent to come before the Lord and get that sin resolved, we have seen children instantly healed of diseases and prayer never even occurs on their behalf. Um, in other words, you don't even have to bring the child in and pray for them. You just simply do the work through the parent. When the curse is broken at that level, it is amazing to see what God will do. The provisions for the child that have not yet come up to the age of understanding. So in other words, you as the parent are the authority over that child. Um, and even as that child is in your home, um, is sitting under your you know feet, under your table, eating your food, you're in authority over him. You have an authority to take authority. For example, if they're having nightmares or if they're um, uh, troubled, instead of yelling at them or trying to make them behave or do what is right, Stop and ask the Lord, what is the problem here? What's really going on? What's the devil really doing to set them up? What is the agreement my bloodline has made? Or what is the the, the, the attack my child is suffering under? And then uh, deal with it from that point of view. And deal with it by taking authority, by repenting, confessing, um, canceling out those agreements uh, on your behalf and on behalf of your family. This begins to bring uh, remarkable healing. Also, the um, idea of binding, loosing, and forgiving. When, for example, um, let's pick an example. Let's just say your child is having a fit, a tantrum. And by the way, you can call me, 347-215-8051. When they're having a tantrum, for example, and you're getting, you feel your blood beginning to boil and you're getting angry and you're you're, going to just, you know, just trying to control yourself so you don't lose it. You know, and you're focusing on the behavior of the child. That is exactly what the devil wants you to focus on, the behavior of the child, so that he can get you to lose it, so you, he can use you to reinforce in that child what he is trying to get that child to believe, that the child is, of course, unwanted or no good or bad or, or needs to be punished or doesn't deserve good things, whatever. So you don't want to fall into the trap, the equation that goes something like this. The, the enemy sets it up with an experience. That experience is the, com- the combination and accumulation of the things that have agreed, been agreed to in the generations past that have come uh, to, to prov- for that child. The child is born into a certain set of circumstances, events, situations, beliefs, open doors, unconfessed sins, the sins of the generations. And through those experiences, Satan is, is exposing that child to the experience and then twisting and shaping the child's perception of what's going on without you knowing about it. So he's being shaped, uh, his perception, they don't love me, I don't matter, they never listen to me, um, you know, whatever it is. 
And then through those perceptions, the devil creates filters and the child begins to continue to see the situations that are similar to that through these new filters of I'm no good, I'm not wanted. It's, and then they get mad because it's not fair. Because all the, that we owe each other is to love one another. And when love is withheld, that becomes the source of the greatest injustice. And injustice provokes anger and tantrums. So the child is seeing himself at that moment of the tantrum through some set of conclusions that he has drawn and perceptions and filters that he has been um, uh, con- conditioned into believing. And you're not getting it and you're stepping right into the trap. And so, um, and you're going to become the reinforcement the devil uses to separate you from your child. That's, that's his whole point is to get to divide, separate us, us from God and us from our children, us from ourselves. Separation is the big deal. He wants to divide and conquer. And so before, when your child is, is going into this mode of throwing a fit, you know, screaming and yelling, whether it's in the store, whether it's in the, in the, in the, in the home, first thing you want to do is say, okay, Lord, I take authority over the spirit of, you know, anger, rage, violence that's tormenting my child, that's acting through my child right now. Do you believe your child can be, be a, a, you know, an ob- object that the devil acts through? Well, of course he can. So you bind that spirit of conflict or crisis or terror or fear or dread or rage or whatever you want to call it. Call it whatever you want to call it. I bind you, enemy. I forbid you. Now, you don't have to say this directly to the child. You don't even have to say it out loud. But the devil will know what you're saying. I forbid you, enemy. I know what you're up to. You will not mess up this evening. You let my child alone. I cut you off with the sword of God's word and truth. And then you say, Lord, what, what's the open door here? Why does little Johnny keep freaking out and throwing fits? How, why is he so um, sensitive to this particular thing? What are the triggers that Satan is What is the lie that he's been believing? What are the lies that are coming through our bloodline, these open doors and gates, that the enemy is using to bring this child to this place of being beside himself? And so as you begin to say those things, ask those things, listen, the Holy Spirit will begin to show you because he said, my sheep know my voice. So God is going to show you, well, this, he, this is just like your dad. This is just like grandpa. This is just like, you know, he would have uh, rage and fits of rage and impulsive anger and he would go violent and he would, you know, you know, uh, whatever it is. Maybe he's narcissistic, thinks he's got to have his own way. Children are kind of narcissistic in a, in a way. They think the whole world revolves around them and that they should be able to, uh, they're responsible for everything and they should be able to control everything because they don't have any other vantage point. They don't know that there's everything else out there besides them and, and what they're thinking they're controlling has nothing to do with anything. I mean, how many children have told you or believe, you know, my parents fighting was my fault and I'm what, three years old. Um, if I'd have been a kid or a child, they would have got divorced. I mean, this is standard operating lies. The devil puts on a lot of kids and no one ever comes along and corrects it. And if it doesn't get corrected, it never, it never changes. There needs to be uh, truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. So the truth needs to be brought in to that place. So you see, so when you start to back it up and say, well, wait a minute, what is this all about here? Lord, show me. Then you begin to bind the enemy and specifically name him. Um, you spirit of, of terror, you fear, spirit of, of rebellion, you spirit of uh, fear, control. And a lot of times kids are, you know, inheriting the rebellious 
uh, spirits that have come down the bloodlines. And the only good news about that is that their demons that they inherit are small. They're younger. They're less established than the old um, uh, ones that they came from. So if you have a child who starts out with a rebellious nature, you know that by the time he's 40, he's going to have that thing fully grown. So the good news is these weeds are small, and they're easier to pick out when they're small or pluck out and to dip, dip, remove. Because after, after a while, the child is going to just see and begin to uh, refine or define themselves by their behavior, as we will if we don't be careful. You're just always, you can never seem to, how come you're not like, and you begin to lay these um, descriptions on them and they themselves, well, mom and dad, you know, they can't even love me. They can't even put up with They're disappointed in me. And so they begin to adopt the um, information or believe a lie. And maybe you're not saying that at all, but maybe it gets twisted when they receive it, goes in uh, to believe mom is not, um, you know, doesn't love me. For example, how many times have you maybe, um, maybe you have two children, maybe you have a, a younger child and, and then you have a three-year-old or something and and you're you're just in the middle of um, taking care of the baby, so to speak, and the uh, the, thir- the three-year-old comes running by the stove and the, the burner is on and the kettle is hot and you push the child away. Now, the child doesn't necessarily know you're protecting them from getting burnt. They may think, mom doesn't like me, mom doesn't have time for me, and so begins to that, that little seed of I'm not wanted, I'm rejected, um, she likes the baby better than me. I mean, these are just little things, and I'm sure that if you just ask the Lord, he's going to show you what's going on. So these are the kind of psychological things that can happen. We also have a lot of maladies that come through, like physical illnesses, um, sicknesses, um, uh, fear of the dark, um, phobias. Can't you know, Another one is um, the allergies and the asthma attacks, and a lot of times we... Uh, are pr- programmed ourselves to immediately um, seek professional help at, before we do the spiritual work. And I really believe we need to do the spiritual work um, before and don't freak out because the devil's trying to get you to be afraid as well. Um, and, and Jesus loves your child. He loves that baby. He, he, he's already said this, um, suffer the little children to come unto me. Um, he loves this precious one and they belong to him. Uh, we're kind of like glorified babysitters, if you will. So you begin to say, okay, Lord, this spirit is afflicting my child. This spirit of um, uh, whatever allergies can't breathe. You begin to bind that spirit of suffocation, um, can't breathe, uh, choking. And a lot of times, you know, we are not very good at looking at what's really gone on in our bloodlines because we just want to gloss over it. We don't really want to, we say, well, you know, it's all under the blood and, you know, we're not here to blame somebody else. We're not here to blame grandma and grandpa. We're just here to be, to look at what's gone on so that we can um, be aware of what needs to be done in a specific and strategic way. So if, uh, if there, and a lot of times these physical uh, ramifications or consequences or repercussions are coming from spiritual agreements, um, uh, I'm going to die. I think that's a, the bottom line of a, of a panic attack is the fear of imminent death, uh, confusion, helplessness, terror, can't breathe. The um, And these are all the names of demons, if you want to call them demons. I mean, terror, confusion, I'm going to die, I can't breathe. Of course, when people can't breathe, they're going to freak out. That's what a panic attack is. That's what anxiety is. That's what. But what if it's a spirit? 
that's choking their throat or or cutting off their wind. What if that's coming from a permission that was given by a great grandfather who was a, a member of the of the of Freemasonry, and in the third degree or even in the first degree, I think they put the, the noose around the neck, and so he's symbolically agreed with, you know, that noose being placed around his neck, which gives the devil act, a, operation um, activations permissions to do that down his generational bloodline. So you've got this choking noose around the neck, and no one's ever confessed the sin as a total abomination against God, his goodness, and the kingdom of heaven, because we, we don't think of these things. And we think, well, it's under the blood. Yes, it is under the blood. That's why, because it is now illegal, and because this child belongs to you and you belong to the kingdom of God. This is exactly why you must go to take the devil to court and reinforce or enforce the victories of the cross. This is where freedom comes from. It comes from the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and your children to be set free. And uh, But so many times we have been so conditioned ourselves to just accept it passively or you know shrug our shoulders or, or go to the doctor or go to the hospital or whatever we do. And we don't, we don't seek any further spiritual help. Um, we ask people to pray, but people usually don't know how to pray very specifically. They just beg God for a lot of things. Beg, 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 beg. Uh, God doesn't say beg me. He says bind. He says loose. He says be persistent. You know, ask me, declare, um, speak what you need. Um, use, use the scripture to present your case to God. It's presenting your case. Even the man whose son, let's look at that for a second. Um, this is a very interesting story in Mark. It's also in the other Gospels. But um, uh, the man who had the son who was taking, uh, constantly being thrown in the water, the fire seizuring, uh, had the epileptic fits, um, possessed. Um, the, I would say this child, if you, if you use the words that I would describe today, um, we could have any words in there from um, some extreme types of schizophrenic or um, autistic behavior, um, obviously demon-controlled um, attention deficit on, this, on the slighter end of all that. But all of that's on the same continuum. There's And notice when we go to that chapter of Mark, chapter 9, um, there's several elements here that are really, really important. Number one, um, I'll read it, 914 of Mark. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. I mean, I can see the, you know, the kind of the panic urgency in their greeting. He said, and he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Because I'm sure he's seeing a commotion in the background. And um, he says, then one from the multitude answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. What does that mean? This child was autistic. He was not speaking. He couldn't communicate. A lot of times when kids can't communicate, it's because they can't hear. Um, They can't hear. Let's just say they're inheriting a, a spirit of deafness from a generational bloodline, and they can't hear properly, so they're not articulating or enunciating their words. Maybe there was ear infections. Maybe there was... Uh, whatever it is, if you can't hear, then you can't pronounce. And if you can't pronounce, you can't learn to read or pronounce. Uh, your language is messed up. Your sounds of your alphabet is somewhat messed up if you can even hear at all. So this boy, and a lot of times we don't go that far back. We just say, well, whatever. But this man knew that his son had a mute spirit because he couldn't talk. 
Then one from the multitude said, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a mute spirit. And whenever he seizes him, so whenever this mute spirit seizes him, he throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. All right, let's look at these adjectives and descriptives for a minute. It seizes him. In other words, the child is not acting under his own will. He's being thrust here, thrown there, cast down. It throws him down. Uh, this could be an epileptic seizure. A lot of times this is, well, this is exactly what it is. The spirit of epilepsy is taking over the the, the, the autonomic uh, nervous system. Things that should be automatically done are not being done. They're being thrown down. Voluntary uh, actions are also being bound so that the child is not doing what he wants to do. Something in there is messing up with this neurological system. What is it? Well, we don't know yet. Let's ask. Let's go. Let's listen. So, whenever he sees him, he throws him down <clears throat> and he foams at the mouth. Now, this is interesting, foaming at the mouth. I I really believe that this is um, because, um, if I'm not mistaken, there's a, uh, when you make, when you ferment fruit, wine, in the winemaking process, there's a fermentation. Um, the sugar is is added to the fruit and it causes this bubbling, frothing kind of uh, um, rotting, actually, of the fruit. There's a fermentation of it. It's changing into alcohol. And in this, this combustion process, there's a, there's combustion, so what combustion means is a, a release of um, CO2, carbon dioxide, when you burn something. So there's this, but what's happening here is there's a foaming. So this child in their stomach, they're not digesting and properly combusting their food in the mitochondria or whatever. And so it's throwing off not carbon dioxide possibly because there may not be enough oxygen and there's tartaric acid in there which creates carbon monoxide or CO instead of CO2. So you have this foaming at the mouth and you have carbon monoxide, I would say. This is me, not researched, my idea, probably right though. Um, This carbon monoxide is going up into the brain and not giving the child enough oxygen. And so the brain is kind of going into that sleepy mode like happens when people get asphyxiated. And so they're they're drowsy, they're stupefied, they're they're foaming at the mouth. There's there's not proper digestion in this type of a child. Then you add to it sugar, and that only makes it worse. These red dyes, blue dyes, and the sugar only make the whole digestive process more disruptive. And so he's foaming, he's gnashing his teeth, he's grinding his teeth. How many children, your kids, grind their teeth in the night? Do you think God wants them to grind their teeth? Is grinding their teeth good for them? It's a, it's a sense, it's, 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 a, it's a release of stress, it's fear, it's um, internalized fear, stress, and the um, release of something that isn't calm, it isn't peaceful. And so there, he's gnashing at his teeth, he's, he's becoming rigid. So he becomes limp on the one hand and rigid on the other. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out. He's, the father's asking Jesus to cast out a demon, and they could not. At least his father was wise enough to know that this was demonic activity. We, in our sophisticated Western medicine world, think it's all can be fixed with um, Depakote or something. You know what I'm saying? Um, or managed. Or, or But, you know, it's not God wants deliverance for these children. They can be born with demons. 
They, because they can be born programmed by the generational curses. They can be programmed and born with fear, terror, dread as this child. Um, and we go into another place where uh, it's John, I think, chapter 5 or 9, where they said, who sinned, this man or his, he was born blind. And Jesus said, neither sinned, neither this man nor his family, nor his, his parents. But he didn't say no one had sinned. And it's interesting here, the next words out of Jesus' mouth is he's kind of like, saying something that doesn't seem to have anything to do with this emergency. He says, he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. In other words, he's sounding like he's impatient. He's sounding like he's frustrated. He's sounding like he's um, groaning in his spirit, as sometimes it indicates he does. But in one uh, version of this scripture, it says, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? He's noticing he's talking about the generations. He's talking about the agreements of the generations. They have made agreements with faithless. They have made agreements with doubt. They've made agreements with unbelief. They've also made agreements with perversion. And he was actually identifying the two particular spirits that come, that are always attending this kind of ch- behavior in children. One is confusion, and the other is sexual perversion. Now you say, well, oh, that's way far out there. I don't. Well, you think about it. He said in Deuteronomy, he gave us another hint in 28, 28. He says, um, 27, he tells us about the sins and 28, the consequences to committing those sins. And one of the, one of the sins was uh, sexual perversion in 27. And in 28, he says, those people, there would be mental confusion and madness of heart. So when people are sexually abused, they come into an agreement with, I don't want to know. I don't want to remember and so they lose their ability to focus and concentrate, and they become uh, they're, they're more interested in not remembering what happened than in continuing to live with the memory because it's way too painful. So faithless and perverse generation. Now look at America. We are absolutely full of faithlessness, idolatry, paganism, bloodshed, murder, violence, abuse our children. It's blood for blood in this abortion thing. We kill children. The devil gets to take our children. The crime uh, fits the punishment, and so we have... The same thing coming down here. We have perversion, sexual perversion, and we have the violence against children. And when there's violence in the bloodline against children, when there's violence, as we see in the nation, against children, that will bring continued violence and um, um, trauma, death and destruction to the children that live. So we have a faithless, we have a confused, perverse, unbelieving generation How long will I be with you? So those two demons are what he is identifying as what's actually creating this problem. Then they brought him, the child, to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. So this spirit, this demon or demons, was recognizing, freaking out, if you will, at the presence of Jesus. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth, wallowing, pining away, not feeling... I mean, this child is not thriving. He is not being, he's not able to attend school. He's not able to uh, do his math. He's not able to learn uh, skills. He's wallowing in his life. He's just like wallowing. There's nothing accomplished. It's all going around in a circle of, of, of destruction, death. Um, uh, there's, his brain isn't working. His neurological system's not worth it working. He's disconnected inside. And he's foaming at the mouth. He's mute and he's foaming. Okay, he can't talk with his mouth. He can't express himself. But there's this um, digestive problem, I really believe, that's, that's also identified here. 
So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. So we don't know how old this boy is. He's from childhood. He's no longer a child. We're probably thinking he's a teenager of some sort, maybe in his, um, you know, uh, I don't know, middle school years, maybe 17, 13, I don't know. And often he throw, has thrown him into both the fire and the water to destroy him. So we have a sense of um, despair, suicide, self-destruction, recklessness. Um, there's no, nothing matters. This kid has no ability to willfully do anything um, except just be this rag doll in the hand of the devil. And he says, Father says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything. Now, that's how we come to Jesus a lot of the time, if you can do anything. But Jesus said back to him, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. Well, this seems like impossible because the the man is probably believing, worn out trying to keep this son alive. And you are faced, some of you are faced with these same kind of critical, if you can believe all things are possible, but all you do is look at what you see and you can't get past that to believe for anything different. You know, because it's impossible it's impossible for a child who has been, um, you know, his his org- he's on dialysis. It's you think, well, his kidneys are shut down. It's impossible for this child to recover his the use of his kidneys, or it's impossible for the Lord to uh, open his, these deaf ears. It's impossible because you're looking at what it looks like. You're not looking at the Lord God and what He can do. Um, and so the man said, "Help my unbelief." So that was an actually an act of faith when he says, um, help my unbelief. And also, by the way, we don't need to have all the faith we have to have for this to happen. You just have to have enough faith. You have a grain of mustard seed. You ask Jesus, and then you say, Lord, show me what to do. Um, sometimes God will just, sometimes he will anoint you to just see it clearly and take and go do battle in this you know, intercession or whatever you want to call it, binding, loosing, forgiving, confessing the sins of the generations, repenting. Forgiveness is a a huge key to getting these door gates closed. But so he didn't ask the man to do any of that right here. He says, um, he just said, Lord, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the people come running together, um, he knew he had to do something quickly. And he didn't take the time to explain to this dad, you know, let's forgive, let's do this. He knew the man's heart and I know that Jesus' compassion for this situation was compelling him to act and act immediately. So he rebuked what? What I told you. A perverse, unclean spirit. What do unclean spirits do? They twist things. Well, what if this unclean spirit was manifesting in in this child as twisting his neurological system, his autonomic system, his um, his you know, sympathetic nervous system. What if he was twisting these things around so the child was not receiving properly the messages, the, the voluntary movement of muscles he, that was constricted or not completed or uh, the, the wires were crossed or it was shorting out, whatever. Um, so his neurological system was being um, interfered with by a, a spirit who was twisting or perverting, an unclean spirit. Now, if you don't know the name of a lot of demons, there's two you can always use, and that will pretty much catch them all. It's fear and uncleanness, unclean spirits. Every spirit that's not holy is unclean. So every spirit that's not from heaven is unclean and from hell. They're vile. They're twisting, perverting. Their agenda is to destroy you. Um, so he said, 
He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, you deaf and dumb spirit. So now he's specifically naming the spirit. This deaf and dumb spirit was keeping this child from not only speaking, but also hearing deaf. He could not take in information, in information, and he couldn't process it in his mind, and he could not speak that information, or, you know, he couldn't express himself. He couldn't hear, take in, couldn't process, and couldn't express. And that's exactly, a deaf and dumb spirit is exactly what autism is. It's a combination of things, and it's a deaf and dumb spirit. Your child does not have to be autistic just because somebody labeled autistic. That's not necessarily, uh, you, you need to do the spiritual work. And I would not accept that label, I would, but I would look for and search for the ways that you can cancel out the spirits, the agreements with the spirit of deaf and dumb. And deaf and dumb, because they're deaf and dumb, um, he said that Jesus gave a, a more specific command to the spirit. He says, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. So this wasn't going to allow this spirit to come back and bring seven worse. So when a demon is cast out of a child or a human being of any kind, you want that place to be filled up with the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's where you loose. You, you bind the spirit, you cast it out. As a parent, you have full authority to cast these demons out. You, 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 know, you may not have that same authority in your 20-something-year-old child, but you can surely still bind them. But if you cast them out of the child, you want to re- replace that place or fill that place up with um, the hunger, the hope, the love, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then the spirit cried out. So the spirit is freaking out and freaking everybody else out, convulsing him greatly. So, I mean, it, this was a grand mal seizure. And it came out of him like one who was dead. So that many said, he is dead. Notice when he healed the girl, too, there he said, she is dead. And so people are so quick to say, oh, the, the most terrible thing. I mean, they're dead. It's hopeless. They're never going to make it. He says um, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. At the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? Well, there were probably a lot of reasons why they couldn't. Number one, I don't think they really realized the depth of the entrenchment of this spirit. It was a, it was a number of spirits. It wasn't just one. And he said, this kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And I really believe that means uh, a holy and a fasted fasting lifestyle. It doesn't mean that you have to be you have fasted 40 days and 40 nights or three days and three nights before you can pray this prayer because a lot of times you don't have time to do that and you don't even know it's going to happen. But prayer makes this, the kind of prayer he's giving here is the binding and loosing, commanding the demons to um, obey the authority that God has given us. Now, I notice we don't have too much time left and I've talked a lot and I've really only addressed a few issues. I mean, just nothing really compared to what the the, the tip of the iceberg in terms of what can be wrong here. But I do know that there's a lot of things spiritually that can be done to help your child. Um, there are, and there are ways and places that they're afflicted. They can be afflicted in their physical bodies, in their hearts, in their circulatory systems, respiratory, bronchial tubes. Uh, the endocrine glands can be blocked and shut down. Digestive stomach and colon, bones and joints, um, all of your, you know, labeled diseases, um, uh, uh, cystic fibrosis, uh, uh, whatever, um, all of these things uh, can be attributed to something where uh, this is not God. God does not want this. This is not for the glory of God. God is not getting glory when your child is dying or st- struggling to breathe or to live. That does not bring glory to God. That is not God's will. Jesus doesn't say, oh, I can't heal him because 
you haven't been in church lately, you need to get rid of that mindset that this is for the glory of God. The glory of God comes when the child is healed. And you know it. These people, after they saw this, they, they were glorifying God. They were excited. Um, they, were, they were satisfied in their heart that God truly is good, that God did the right thing. He had compassion on them and that he was there to deliver them. Um, we can have all kinds of problems with ears, nose, eyes, sinuses, um, brain synapses, uh, mus- muscles. I mean, the, the the phobias, the panic attacks, uh, repeated hospitalizations. Uh, you know, um, and all this kind of boils down to number not not only sins of the generations, but also the the diet of the child and what they're feeding, what they're not eating these days, what they're not being given. If the child's body is not being given the nutrients, the elements, the minerals that it needs, it cannot rebuild. It cannot function. Just like you cannot bake a cake if you don't have the ingredients. Yes, maybe some of them you can substitute, but basically if you don't have the ingredients in your cupboard, you're not going to bake the cake. If the child does not have the minerals, the elements, the supplements that he needs or she needs, to build a strong, healthy body, that will there will be no strong, healthy body. You just there's some things that you and I must take authority over, and there's some things that we must simply provide. Um, and and again, laziness or not believing or the, the kind of diets we eat these days are, are atrocious. They're they're deathful, they're full of death and destruction. They screw up our frequencies. We cannot live on those kinds of diets. We don't thrive. And then when you're feeling low and depressed. How easy is it for the enemy to come in? And when your child goes to school without any nourishment, how are they going to spend all day reading and writing and, and solving their number problems and, and thriving in the in the classroom? They're just not, especially if they don't know that they're loved and they're okay and mom and dad are okay, and when they come home tonight, everything's going to be okay. If they're worried all day about their attention is distracted between uh, worrying, hypervigilance, trying to figure out what's going to happen tonight when I get home, is dad going to freak out again? A lot of you are just really upset with your children's behavior, but I will tell you, your children are reacting to you. They are not actors. They are reactors. They're reactors. You're the actor. You're the one who has the first choice to cast out, to uh, confess, to repent, um, to change your ways and and ask God to forgive you. So, I mean, there's just a zillion things that can be done for anybody to improve their situation before you hand it over to the devil or throw in the towel or give up. Um, let's look at what the Word of God says. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth was such free. So if there's anybody out there, 347-215-8051, that's been listening, that would like to talk with me, this would be a good chance to do it. And it seems like what? Do we have anybody out there? Nobody. Well, let me in- encourage all of you um, that this we could take this on and on and on with but I, I would love to have some of your questions um, and, and to help you to understand specifically, to unravel the mysteries of specifically what's gone on with your child. And so I would invite you um, this Saturday, um, we are going to be doing a workshop uh, addressing this very thing with specific needs, specific issues, uh, specific people. We're going to talk about what's going on in your life, in your generation, in your child, what to do about it. And this is a free workshop in Rogers, Minnesota, um, at the Holiday Inn. And that will be from 9 in the morning to uh, 3 in the afternoon. So if you're interested in picking up some more information and truly uh, 
exploring what's going on with your kids, I would really encourage you to come. Um, there is no need to have this much pain and this much um, dis- d- destruction going on in the middle of your family. That's not what Jesus died to give you. He died that you might have life and life more abundantly. So if your children are fic- uh, uh, sick or afraid or they're not thriving, they're rebelling, um, the, the, the abuse, the difficulties in relationships, remember, ask the Lord, number one, what is the lie? My child is believing. He will show you. They're afraid. Afraid of what? Um, show me, Lord. Afraid of what? What's making them afraid? What? And, you know, kids are very spiritual. They probably have seen more things floating around their house than you have. And uh, so they're afraid. Okay, then, Lord, what is the lie? What is the truth you want me to know? Where did this lie first get in? What is the agreement you want me to cancel out? Is there anybody we need to forgive here who practiced, open this door inadvertently, and is there anybody we need to forgive so that you can begin to walk in the place of healing and restoration in your family? Because, Jesus, this is what it's about. This is really, seriously, if if we, you know, if, if the enemy has gotten into our family, what does anything else really matter? If, if we cannot deal with, the, if our families are not peaceful, if there's attack and assault within our own children, that is where we need to begin. Um, in your own personal life and in the lives of your children, your family. Um, this is where we need to begin. And for mercy's sake, for compassion's sake, for your sake, for the sake of the kingdom of God, let's pay some attention to what's going on because we are in a war. This is not, you know, just normal. What we're thinking is normal is a new normal. Sick, getting sick, going to the hospital, vaccinations, doctors, doctor visits. This is this is being trained. You're being trained to go to the physicians and whatnot. And I'm not saying that they can't help you sometimes. But I've also heard just as many stories where they've actually not. And, you know, not intentionally maybe. But let's not fall for and be conditioned by the enemy to believe that I'm helpless. There's nothing I can do. Because that is the first lie that you need to take to the Lord and say, then, Lord, I confess that is a lie feelings of helplessness or failure or fear, I confess that is sin and abomination. Now show me where I first got to believing that and how the enemy is using that even to take out my family. So if there's no questions, I would really encourage you to join us on Saturday. That's this Saturday, the 21st of March, okay, at the Rogers um, Holiday Inn from 9 to 3. It's free. Um, come on in and we will be in, we'll actually be doing the work. We're not just going to talk, talk, talk about this. We're actually going to be doing a workshop where people can actually bring their needs. Um, and I'm not encouraging you to bring necessarily your children because really the first step is, as Henry Wright says, bring yourself. Let's fix it on that level and then see what, what's left to do. So God, Jesus had to fix the Father first. He helped him with his doubt, his fear, his exhaustion, his unbelief. He lifted the burden off of him. He took over. He finished the work, and I'm sure the dad was quite relieved. But the dad was cooperating. He handed the child over to Jesus. He did what he could do, and that's what we're going to be doing too. And uh, so, Father God, we thank you that you care about our children. You said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And, Lord, we understand that there's a whole lot more going on in our kids than just the physical world and just feeding, clothing, sheltering them. Lord God, that there's such a spiritual attack against them in every way. And I pray, Father, that 
the things that were said tonight, that your Holy Spirit will uh, connect the dots, uh, extrapolate, expand, develop these thoughts in the hearts and minds of your people, that they will be encouraged, that this will make sense to them, and that they will take the action that you want them to take, Father God, to move in the direction of health, healing, and restoration for their children, Father God. For our children are your most precious thing. There's nothing in this earth that we can take to heaven besides our family. So, Father, I pray that this would be our primary focus, your love for them, and give us wisdom, give us courage, uh, and we ask these things, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Thank you, and good night. God bless you, and we'll join you again next week. I have an emergency. What is your location?